You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Hey guys, Pastor Ryan here. So glad that you have joined us today for another uh, message from our Better Together series. Hopefully you were encouraged last week with Pastor Bob teaching. It was great for uh, me to get away. I had a huge study break up in the mountains and uh, was studying end time stuff for an entire week. And uh, I look forward to teaching that message series coming up in September. And then starting next week, we're going to be jumping into the book of Jonah and looking forward to being able to teach and regather. Those of you that want to join us, we're so glad that you'll be doing so. So anyway, we'll continue to do the online ministry stuff. So I want to encourage you to be a part 9 and 1030. Uh, We're going to be doing that. So looking forward to that. So today, what I want to do is wrap up the message series called Better Together. And people have asked me, Ryan, how are you doing? How's the church doing? And my uh, calculated response has been, all things considered, I'm good. We're good. And I think that's important as a church and as a Christian is to try to take in all things considered. When you go through a crisis of any kind, taking into all that's considered, you know what? We're good. And the Bible gives us so much promise and so much perspective that it can help us go through some of the most painful in challenging situations that we could imagine. I mean, many of you are having to reorient just this last week and you got kids at home and they're online and they're at the kitchen table or you converted the bedroom into a classroom or you're, you as a teacher are out in the hallway on a makeshift desk to try to figure out how to teach your students online. We have had to reshuffle and reshape everything that we've been doing. And I think we're better together when we consider all things and then put it into perspective. And I think we'll walk out today with a sense of, man, I'm good. I'm good. So we're going to look at kind of a case study, the Apostle Paul. He goes through tremendous crisis, tribulation, trials, temptations, hardship, and being a pioneer leader for the early church to establish new churches and strengthen existing ones. And so we're going to look at the Apostle Paul's life, who was a faithful minister of God's word, wrote numerous books in the New Testament, which gives us much of our Christian theology in this book of uh, Corinthians that we'll be looking. If you've got a Bible, open it up. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 is where we're going to begin. And I just want to tell you, uh, the, kind of the mega theme in Corinthians is that through suffering, we can have strength because of the Spirit of God. And my hope and prayer is, is that through this whole crisis, all these challenges that you've faced, is perhaps it's been a reset button for you to maybe reset and re-engage with the power of the Holy Spirit, with the ministry of God's word, and, and, and begin to take steps forward and to navigate through these hard times. And so let's look at 2 Corinthians verses four through uh, uh, chapter four, starting in verse eight. The apostle Paul says this, he says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. He tells us right there that the Christian goes through all sorts of stuff. He himself went through this. His ministry companions were going through these hardships, these challenges, 
but he says he's not destroyed. Verse 16, picking up there, he says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not only to the things that are seen, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are unseen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Like I told you earlier, when I got a chance to get away up in Flagstaff and have that retreat, I was on this little walk with my daughter, Maya. We're walking through the woods. It's nice, cool weather, and it was blazing hot down here in Phoenix that week. And my daughter's walking through the woods, and I think she just got into a conflict with uh, her older brother. And she said, uh, Dad, uh, I'd like to make a bow and arrow. And I said, how would, you, how would you like me to make that? And she says, I don't know, maybe find a, a stick or something and make me a bow. And I said, well, what do you want to use it for? And she said, to shoot, Sam. And I said, oh, that's a great idea. Sure, how big do you want it? You want a big one or a little one? And the funny thing is, is that as we were uh, together out there in, in the woods, we had to figure out and to find a bow that would, uh, that would a stick that wouldn't break we first grabbed an old stick and we put a rope on it and pulled it and it snapped. Found another one that was a little better. And you know what we ended up having to do is to cut down a small little oak sapling. Maybe it was a, I don't know how many months old it was. Maybe it was even a year old, but it was a pretty good sized one. And you, you could, it was green and strong. And there was a lesson behind that because when we put a rope on it and you pull it back, you realize it's not going to break. I think what the Apostle Paul is getting at is this point right here, is this, is that God will bend you, but he won't break you. You're like that oak. The Bible tells us that we will be like uh, trees planted by streams of living water. And when, and when storms come into our life, we're able to bend, but not break. I think the Christian life is a life where you've got to expect that you're going to be you're going to be bent up at times. You're going to be bruised. God will bend you, but he won't break you. The Apostle Paul testifies to this, never questions the character and the nature of God, but he acknowledges the pain and the hardship. Look again what he says in verse 8. He says, we're afflicted. And then he goes on to say, in every way. Let me ask you a question. How have you been afflicted? The, the, the fear of affliction and the, the frustration, the fear, the uncertainty in this crisis, the racial tensions that have broken out, the, the political hostility that exists all around us. There is an affliction for every Christian. And let me tell you something, friends. As a Christian, you're going to face an increased level of afflictions simply by claiming Christ as your savior. The apostle Paul doesn't deny these afflictions. He says, we're afflicted in every way. But then he goes on to say, but not crushed. In other words, God's not crushing us in this. Oh no, he's, he's given us power and strength. God does not break us down. The devil does that, but the Lord will bend you. He'll bend you to test you and to strengthen you. He goes on to say, we're perplexed but not driven to despair. 
maybe in this crisis that you've been in, uh, maybe these hardships that you've faced. I've heard stories of friends that have lost loved ones, lost their job, lost uh, different uh, opportunities that they had that would be normal to travel and be with family and friends. They're perplexed. I think in a hardship like this, it's good to look at this case study of the Apostle Paul and to see how he navigated through it and kept this attitude of gratitude in the midst of a crazy time. He says, perplexed but not driven to despair. If you remember the story of Pilgrim's Progress, there was this uh, story where Christian is making his journey to the celestial city and there's the, the pool of despair. It's like a a quicksand, if you will, that you could fall into on your way through the Christian life. I think despair can set us into deep levels of discouragement and discouragement into depression. And the Apostle Paul says that we're perplexed, but not driven to despair. He says, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. In other words, friends, you need to realize that we will need to bend as a Christian, but we're not called to be broken. God's not trying to break you in this trial, in this hardship, in the uncertainty, in the challenge. He's not trying to do that. He's trying to bend you so that he might put in the arrows of righteousness, be able to bend them back into your life and shoot them with accuracy and give you a life of action and purpose. And the reality is, is that too many times when we get frustrated, we get uh, angry and resentful thinking that God is trying to break us when he's simply going to bend us. You know, there should be for the Christian a, a new beatitude. You've heard, uh, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Well, I would say to you, blessed are the flexible for they shall not break. The worst thing you can be is so inflexible uh, in times of challenge, you know, I think of uh, families and, 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 and dads and moms, and I think of myself at times when you get so inflexible and rigid that you just, it's hard to, to be able to navigate through the challenges. You've heard boxers say, sometimes you need to roll with the punches. That's the idea that if, when you get punched, you got to roll with it in order to let that movement work through you and not crush you and demolish you. The apostle Paul understood this principle that God will bend us, but he's not going to break you. See the devil, the Bible says that the devil comes to kill and destroy, but Jesus came to give life. In other words, Jesus came to build you up. The devil comes to break you down. But Jesus also said in this world, you're going to have trouble you're gonna have tribulation. You're gonna have trials that you, that you can't think that you can stand. And there's a Christian hope that even in death, there is a promise for eternal life. So death won't have the final victory over your life. No matter what happens, you have an eternal set and strong position of hope and should hold you to a place of gratitude that all things considered, you're good. Additionally, the reality is, is that you and I are going to face lots of pressures in life. We're going to have all sorts of pressure. And I kind of learned this principle about pressure and thinking about a diamond. If you know anything about diamonds, it's crazy. They kind of were uh, first uh, reported to be discovered in 9th century BC. And they found out they're just these little clumps of coal. 
And that under intense heat and intense pressure, they become this intriguingly masterful, beautiful stone that is incredibly valuable. It's under pressure and the intensity of heat that that clump of coal turns into a diamond. And in the Christian life, you're going to have pressures, so many pressures in life. And the apostle Paul gets at that. And I think of my, my, my daughter and I were walking through Walmart just the other day. And I was talking to her about diamonds and here we go walking through the parking lot and she looks over and she sees this license plate and she says, there's a bunch of diamonds, daddy. And on the license plate, it said bling. And sure enough, the license plate bracket was bordered and and, uh, uh, had studs of diamonds all around the, the border. And she said, they must be rich. And I said, yep. That's why they shop at Walmart, and that's why we do too. So we went in, and we laughed, and we had fun. But the reality is, is that diamonds are, are everywhere now. They're on people's rings. They're on people's necks. They're on uh, people's ears. They have them in people's nose, and you can even get them etched into your teeth, and you have a flashy, flashy grill. And the funny thing is about it, though, is that we've kind of cheapened this sense of diamonds because they look like they're everywhere. But God's not making fake diamonds in the Christian life. He's making real, valuable diamonds in the Christian life. The second point I want to draw out to you is that God uses pressure to produce godliness. He, he uses that pressure that you feel in your life. He uses that anxiety that you have in your heart and in your body that you, you despise. I think that God custom designs weakness into your life so that you can become more dependent and more prayerful, and more needy. And so many times we scorn uh, God in the bending process, in the pressure moments. And God says, I'm trying to minister to you and through you. The apostle Paul said that he was afflicted and asked God to remove these thorns that he felt like he had in his flesh. And scholars have debated as to what those were. But Paul said, God, the Lord said, no, I'm going to leave those in your life because my grace is sufficient for you. And the Apostle Paul wrestled with this reality of suffering, hardship, but found the sweetness and the power of the Spirit of God in his life and understood these ideas of pressure. And he wrote about it in Romans. And let me just uh, uh, read it to you. You can keep in your Bibles in 2 Corinthians 4, and then we'll work through that. But I want to read to you this passage in Romans. And it has to do with this idea of pressure and what it produces. In Romans 5, 3 through 4, he wrote, we rejoice in our sufferings. Time out. He says, we rejoice. In other words, he's talking about as Christian ministers who have been persecuted, gone through trials, gone through hardships, gone through imprisonments, gone through uh, beatings, gone through insults, gone through uh, being slandered, being uh, feeling like the scum of the earth. He says this, we rejoice and our sufferings. And I think, how do you get there? How do you get to that point in your Christian life where you could rejoice in cancer, rejoice in positive tests of COVID-19, rejoice when people persecute you, insult you, slander you, say bad things about you, betray you, and you love them and they hurt you. How, How do you get to that place? You deal with a tremendous amount of pressure. The Apostle Paul says, we rejoice in our sufferings. You could substitute that word for today as pressure, knowing that the 
suffering or the pressure produces something. What does it produce? These, these are the diamonds, the three diamonds that I'm talking about. They're not phony or fake, plastic, drilled into your grill. These are real diamonds of the Christian faith. Remember, pressure produces godliness. It always will in your life if you let it. It can produce ugliness if you don't turn towards the Lord. It can produce grumpiness if you don't turn towards the Lord. But if you turn towards the Lord in the pressure, you're gonna grow in godliness. There's three things that the apostle Paul mentions. He says, first, it produces in us endurance. Man, I tell you what, you need endurance, friend. The Christian life is like a race. It's, and so many times we think that just that salvation is the, is the finish line. Yeah, I got there. I'm a Christian. I'm good. No, that's the starting point. And the whole Christian life until the day you die is about endurance. It's about perseverance. It's about being persistent to stay at it, to keep working at it. I can remember several times, even during this time, this COVID-19, I call it the divine reset. There's a chance for all of us around the world to pause for a moment. And what it's done, I think, for the Christian, it's called them up to endure, to walk through. And I think sometimes as Christians, we think God has abandoned us, forsaken us. If we don't escape the hardship, when the Lord says, no, I, I told you, I just want you to endure this. Even the Apostle Paul and his calling and his salvation Damascus Road experience, the Lord speaks to other believers and says, this is the guy, my servant, whom is appointed to suffer much. Why? That sounds terrible. God was going to use his weakness for God's glory and his greatest strengths. And so the reality is, is that you and me as Christians, if we don't get this thing right, hardship, suffering, we won't endure we will wimp out. And I think what we're at the edge of in, in church history and being in this 29th chapter of the book of Acts in the sense that we're living in the last days is we're gonna see an amazing and incredible apostasy of many believers and at the same time, a great revival among many of those that decide to endure. When you go through hardship, when you go through pressure, do you know what God says? I want to produce in you. I want to make this in you. I want to perform my work through you and in your life. I'm going to give you endurance. So every little hardship that you go through, every little setback that you experience, God is saying through the power of the Holy Spirit, rely on me, hang with me through this. And I promise it's going to produce something in you that's far greater than what you thought. But the thing is, is we can so easily wimp out See, I've been on races before and runs where you're going on a big run and I had to, in order to get through the race, I had this thing beside me called a pace setter. And the pace setter was there to encourage me to run the race. And so when I got tired, the pace setter said, you can do it, Ryan. It's just around the corner. You're at the whatever mile marker. And that pace setter helped me to endure. Let me tell you something, friends. God's called you to endurance and he's gonna produce that in you if you don't try to escape the pressure, but allow that pressure to work on you and realize 
that pressure produces godliness. Secondly, it produces, the scripture says, is that it produces character. Character is so underrated in our culture today. Leaders rise and fall with character. Our culture doesn't value character. The church, we ought to value character. Character is what you do when no one's looking. Character is doing the right thing time and time again. Character takes a lifetime to build, but it only takes a a moment to be destroyed. You can work your whole life at living a godly life, a Christian life, and then in an instant do a stupid action and it can destroy and ruin your character. And what the Bible says is he'll use pressure in your life to produce not only endurance, but that endurance will turn around and develop character in your life. Lastly, it produces hope. It produces a hope in your life that gives you the fuel, the energy, the desire to keep on going on and getting through what you're going through. Hope is something that the Lord will pour out into your life through the power of the Holy Spirit. As you continue to read in Romans, you see that. And it's encouraging and important for us to remember God uses pressure to produce godliness. Thirdly, I want to encourage you that God wants you to look past the pain and keep an eternal perspective. He wants you to look past it. So many times in the Christian life, what we do is we look, we, we get stuck at the pain. Whatever hurt, think for a moment the hurt that you've gone through. Somebody betrayed you. Something went wrong. You lost something that you love, maybe a person or maybe a job or maybe a pos- something in your life you've lost, you've experienced loss, you've experienced hardship and there's pain there. And pain is a normal part of the Christian life. And too many of us think that the, the, the blessed life is an absence of pain. Then why, why did most all the disciples die a martyr's death? Why did Jesus call us to a life to endure not only in the the joy and the pleasures of the Christian life, but also in the suffering? There's a sweetness in suffering because it brings humility and it brings a dependence on God. And in this, there's this challenge that we've got to face pain, square in the face and look past the pain, not get stuck on the pain, but look past the pain and keep an eternal perspective. And the Apostle Paul challenges us to do that. In 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18, he says this, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison, all comparison. There's a couple of words in there that are really important. First of all, he's talking, he's talking about, he's, he's identifying different weight. He says there's a light, meaning it's not, too, not that heavy, a light momentary affliction that's in the life that you and I experience. That's through the setbacks, the hardships, the insults, the persecution, the trials, the temptations we fall into. It's all that. It's those afflictions, those challenges. He's not denying those exist, but he's doing something. He's looking past the pain and he's looking towards the promise and keeping the eternal perspective. He says, for this light momentary affliction is doing something. What's it doing? It's preparing. It's doing something great. It's doing something wonderful. Preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I think theologically, the apostle Paul is looking uh, uh, towards uh, the judgment seat of Christ when believers 
will give account to Jesus Christ after they are raptured, saved from the tribulation, give account to Jesus Christ where their life will be reviewed and rewarded as a Christian. And then he's also looking to the second coming of Christ and and all the blessings that are gonna come and for the believer and, and the rewards, these crowns of life. There's five different crowns mentioned, which I'll teach about later in the fall, that we are gonna be rewarded. And what the apostle Paul is saying is, I get it. You, you've got momentary affliction. And notice how he used the word momentary, a short time, a moment. It's light affliction. And were his afflictions light? No. They were immense. But he said in comparison to the eternal weight. So this is why I say, my friends, all things considered, I'm good. It's why the, why, why the, the, the hymn writer said, it is well with my soul, even after experiencing tremendous loss of family and loved ones, it is well. Why? All things considered momentary affliction. And what do we do sometimes as Christians? We think this momentary affliction, oh, we act like it's not light. We act like it is the most heavy, burdensome, intolerable, unavoidable, worst thing in the world. And I think the Lord's saying to you, it's light in comparison to the eternal glory, if you just trust me. And God wants to raise us up to walk through these hardships. And we've got to see ourselves. If you've seen boxing movies or uh, uh, watched uh, real boxers, and apparently Mike Tyson's about to go toe-to-toe again. I guess he didn't like how he went out. Heavyweight champion, bites an ear. Now he's going to fight. And the reality is, is in the Christian life, God says this momentary, this earthly affliction you're going through, that's lightweight but I'm preparing you for heavyweight. I'm preparing you for a level that you, that you don't even understand. It's eternity. I mean, on this earth, the average person lives in America, 78 years old, something like that. Well, eternity is 78 times a million times infinity. It's forever. And when we take that into consideration, there's a greater sense of peace that no matter what happens, to be absent from the body to means to be present with the Lord. The soul cannot be killed, friends. The soul lives on for every, forever, for every single person on the planet. And Paul puts this into perspective. Allow the pain to be an opportunity to look past the pain and keep the eternal perspective. He says this in verse 18. He says, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, So I'm going to ask you something. On a day-to-day basis, when you see your problems, can you see past them? Are you training the brain to look past the problems and towards the eternal perspective? He said this, let's look at it again. He's talking about a vision, a mindset, a perspective. He says, as we look not to the things that are seen, what are the things that are seen? The body wastes away. Affliction happens. People persecute. People slander. Gossip happens. You will lose loved ones. You will get sick. You will face in tremendous hardship. Paul says, don't don't keep your eyes there. Can you look past it? He talks about these unseen things. For the things that are 
seen or transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I think of the story of Peter. Peter's one of my favorite guys in the, in the New Testament, you know, a disciple of Jesus Christ, was a great outdoorsman, fished with his brothers, and had a great family business, entrepreneur, neat guy. Was a loudmouth, probably cussed, probably got into all sorts of trouble. Jesus saves his life, changes his life, but he's been known by pastors, theologians, and Christian thinkers as the impetuous Peter. He's impulsive. And one story with Peter is the Lord is out. There's a storm that hits. Jesus appears. He's out in the, in the sea and Peter wants to be out there with Jesus. And the Lord calls to him and says, come on, Peter. Peter jumps out of the boat, steps on water, a substance he has no business walking on from an earthly perspective. And then he sees, the scripture says in Matthew that he sees the wind. He hears the storm. He feels all that. And in a moment's time, just then, he gives way and he takes his eyes off of the Savior and he focuses on the storm. And in that moment, the scripture says is that he began to sink. And then the Lord, in sinking, reaches down and saves him. My point is to you is that is if a Christian, you spend most of your time looking at the storm and not your Savior, you're going to sink. If you spend most of your time as a Christian focusing on the problems, but not looking ahead to the eternal perspective, not looking ahead to the promises of God, you will be in despair, friend. You will be not only bent, you will be broken. And the Lord says, look past that. The Apostle Paul challenges us to read this, to heed this. The church in Corinthian would not only take these scriptures and apply them into their lives, but they would take this and propagate this message for the Christian life because they would be enduring tremendous persecution in the years to come. And the apostle Paul, with the foreknowledge, whether known or unknown, was granted that to write these words for times of trouble, crazy times for the Christian to live a life in the midst of hardship. And I think as friends, we're better together when we decide to do that. It's kind of like this. I, I make it a, a routine effort when crazy times are happening to go get some perspective. Some of my favorite places in Arizona are Sedona, Flagstaff, or the White Mountains. And every one of those places, there's mountains. When you crawl to the top of a mountain, hopefully you don't have to crawl. Hopefully you can hike. When you get there, you can see down and you can see the valleys. And it gives me a, a metaphor to hold on to in life. The mountaintops are great. You can't live up there. And as a Colorado mountain guide, years in my past, I realized there's not a lot of life on top of the mountain, but there is perspective. And God calls us at times to go to the mountain and gain perspective, to look up the journey that you just came through, to look back and see different horizons, and then look ahead and to see the future. And you need a mountaintop moment from time to time in your life to gain perspective. You got to get above it so that you can see through it. You got to get up on that mountain so that you can see past the pain and keep that eternal perspective. Friends, hiking can be hard, especially in the, in the season of a, a hot summer. But I'm telling you, in the Christian life, you got to hike. You got to hike even in, when it, things start heating up. And you got to get out and gain a perspective Shake yourself out of the funk, raise up to a greater level, bind 
bulletproof onto your mind these promises of God and keep this eternal perspective. The apostle Paul kept it to the point of his death. Jesus Christ at the cross said this to those who were persecuting, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. The Christian life is called to greater levels of understanding and insight. And we have the case studies like the apostle Paul to say, I'm gonna follow in these footsteps. So I wanna challenge you to do that. Pain uh, brings about the opportunity for perspective, but it's still messy. Mess is a part of the Christian life. You're gonna go through messy situations in life. That's just life. If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. I think Christian, Christianity is like parenting little kids. When I walk in at home, oftentimes I see the room is a mess. Wet clothes are thrown on the floor, towels are on the floor, and those evil little Legos are spread out all over the floor. And in the middle of the night, I walk through, hurt my feet, out, yell, and the, I see the room is a total mess. And I usually say something like this, your room is a mess. You gotta clean it up. And on a bad day, I threaten. You're not getting any ice cream. You're not gonna get any electronics. You're not, and it blows me away because kids today, they can sit in their room for hours and build the most elaborate cities on Minecraft, but they don't know how to put away their clothes. Mom, dad, we gotta do something. And I think about God as a father and how he responds to the mess in our lives. Does he come into the room of your life and yell at you and start threatening you? No. You know what the Lord does? He says, well, get up off the bed, get off that electronics, get off what you're doing, and you're gonna have to join me in cleaning all this up. But let me tell you something, I'm in the business of doing miracles. You need to know no matter how messy your life is, whatever is going on in your life, God's in the business of doing miracles in the middle of your mess. And even beyond that, for you, those of you that call North Valley home, God is trying to use your mess as a ministry. The greatest uh, ministers that I've known are people that have gone through something and it's a messy situation in order to be used and transformed to make a ministry. You think of those that's, that are in recovery ministry. Usually the leaders are the ones that went through the hardship, the disaster, the mess. And then they're able to help others because they weathered the storm. They battled the addiction. They knew what it was like and they're able to help bring you along in that. And I think of those that have gone through tremendous hardships of parenting or adoption or or the loss of a loved one. And it's oftentimes God uses those messes in our life to give us not only experience it, the opportunity to experience a miracle, but to experience the opportunity to be part of a ministry. And I think at North Valley, we've got to realize and look back on our past and see the mess that God has done. And for some of you that's more present right now, you're in a mess and you're frustrated. You need to have a hope that God is working on your testimony that God wants to use this for his good. He wants to perform a miracle in the midst of it. And then maybe one day he could use it for a powerful, powerful ministry. Look what the apostle Paul tells us, or here's the point. God can take a messy situation and turn it into a ministry. God can take that messy situation in your life and turn it into a powerful ministry. Second Corinthians 1, 3 through 4, the apostle Paul in addressing the church in Corinth He's been through great deals of mess. Uh, this is what he says. 
He starts out with praise, which is amazing. And he says this, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father and mercies of God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction. The first thing I think that you and I need to do when we find ourselves in a terrible situation is start to praise God. Instead of worry, we need to worship. Instead of uh, being angry, we need to move towards adoration. We've got to break through this. And the apostle Paul says that. And then he says that, that God is the God of all comfort. He's praising. In verse four, he says, who comforts us in our affliction. God is a comforter. God wants to comfort you in your hardship, but he gives it to you for a purpose. He brings that comfort. And then he says, the apostle Paul says, so that. He says, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Not only when you go through a messy situation in life, do you need to praise God, but you need to count on him using that affliction to bring about a greater purpose. My prayer is, is that every Christian in our church would not see themselves simply as an attender, uh, but a member, not only of North Valley, but the church at large and as a minister of God's grace. And oftentimes the most powerful evangelism tool that you hold is your personal testimony. It's what you've been through because nobody can argue with that. And God is is trying to bring about comfort in your life. And for every degree of comfort he brings into your life, what he desire for you to do is to share that comfort with somebody else. And then they ask, why are you doing this? And you say, because God's been good to me. God's comforted me. So I want to help you. I've seen that time and time again in our church and in churches around the world is this reality of, well, we just allow that blessing to flow through us. And that's how God builds ministers. So realize that in, in the hardship, maybe what is, what is the grandioso idea of what God's been doing in your life over the last six months since COVID-19 swept through our world, divine reset. What if he's using this as a reset opportunity for you to think about the next season of your life, a greater level of ministry and impact in the workplace, in your church, in your home, in your family. God oftentimes will take a messy situation and turn it into a ministry. And then last but not least, God's power is made perfect in your weakness. Some of you think that you are not in a good place. You're weak, spiritually speaking. You're physically exhausted, emotionally spent, financially struggling perhaps. And you're like, I'm not in a strong place. God, can you use me? And I think the scripture tells us absolutely we can. And I think there's signs to let you know just how weak you are. Listen to these questions that I began to analyze reading other books and uh, uh, issues of the heart and and seasons of the soul. Questions of the heart are, are like this you might hear this in your own head is, do I have what it takes? A lot's been taken out of me. I feel exhausted. Do I, do I really have what it takes, Lord? Or maybe the question is, is what's the point? You're frustrated. 
It's the story of Jonah. Jonah doesn't want to help anybody. He's frustrated. He's, what's the point, God? I'm not going to do what you want me to do. You're just going to be merciful and give people uh, salvation and grace, and you're not going to make them turn like I want you to make them turn. I want them to burn. And he, the Lord says, I want them to turn. But you may be asking this cynical question on what's the point of working at my marriage? What's the point of working at my finances? What's the point? And the Lord wants to turn around and say to you, there is a point. Don't give up. You might have a weakness in your life, a soul fatigue. You're asking questions, does God really love me? Or does anyone really care about me and what I'm going through? Or maybe the question is this, is how long can I go, God? How long can I endure? And the Lord says, you can endure forever. You got this. I told you, you're not a lightweight. You're not some skimpy shrimpy. You're a heavy hitter. God has designed you for that. And when the problems become the point, you get stuck there. You, get, you lose your perspective. You rolled off the mountain. You're down in the valley. And from time to time, you need a friend to pick you up, walk you through, and you're human. You get discouraged. The apostle Paul got discouraged. That's why he had friends, to help him be encouraged. If you find yourself in great discouragement, get encouraging friends. Be a part of an encouraging uh, atmosphere of worship and God's word and prayer. The Apostle Paul says this, great example for us to follow. The Lord encourages the Apostle Paul, and he says this, when the when Apostle Paul was struggling, the Lord spoke to him, you need a word today. I need a word from God from time to time, a divine word to break through my monotony, to break through my mediocrity, and I need a word from God to refresh me. This is that word. When the Apostle Paul is going through something like this, and so many of us have gone through some level of hardship, the word breaks forth, breaks the silence, and the Lord says to the Apostle Paul in his hardship, he says, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. That ought to sit for you. Let it weigh in for a moment. If you're at home and kids are running around, wait. Just listen to this. The Lord says, my grace is sufficient for you. And he, Paul's been complaining. He's gone through hardship. And he realizes that this idea of sufficient means it's enough. So in other, it means God is enough. God's grace is enough for you in your life. You don't think it is, but it is. It's enough for you. When, Paul's, when the Lord says, my grace is sufficient for you, he's saying, my grace is enough for you. My grace is ample for you. My grace is adequate for you. My grace is abundant for you. And then he goes on to say, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I think of the story of Moses and how Moses, when he was called by God, had powerful displays of supernatural encounters. The voice of God speaks from the burning bush and calls Moses to lead millions out of slavery and into freedom. And Moses begins to kind of argue with God. And he tells the Lord, I'm not eloquent with speech. You've picked the wrong one. I couldn't do what you're asking me to do. And I think you need to realize something as a Christian is God doesn't call those who are qualified. He qualifies everyone whom he calls. So he will prepare you for the hardship that you're in. He will prepare you 
for the promotion that you get. He will prepare you for the challenge that you face. And Moses stands as an example, as well as the Apostle Paul, that you need to hear these words again today. God's grace is enough for you. It's enough. It literally is. It's enough. It's an ample supply. It's a good supply. It's like the reservoirs that we have all around our state. There's a lot of water there. And without those reservoirs, we don't get a good city called Phoenix. And God's pipeline of grace is strong, but it's infinite. There is no shortage. And you got to rely on that as a Christian to get through what you're going through. Grace lubes up the gears of life and helps you to get through it. And I challenge you to adopt this attitude, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. The Apostle Paul closes out and he says, therefore, how about that? Therefore, I like this. He says, I will boast. In other words, I'll be a bragger. I'll walk with some swagger. But about what? He says, about about all the, I'll be of a boast all the more gladly about what? About my weakness, he says. That's something that you and I just don't normally do because weakness is looked down upon in our culture. Be strong, be tough. What the Apostle Paul is telling you to, he's saying weakness in the flesh, weakness in yourself. He goes on to clarify, let's look of the purpose of it. He says, so that, there it is. That's how you study the Bible. You look for these key words, so that. The Apostle Paul spells it out. Here's the purpose, so that Christ's power may rest on me. You don't need, uh, you don't need your power resting on you. You do if you just want to be uh, non-Christian and go through the whole Christian life in your own willpower. But as a Christian, you're offered divine power, a supernatural power, a Holy Spirit power, kind of power that came on the disciples in the early church and they would be witnesses and they were to stay in Jerusalem until they received that power to move out and be a witness to all the world around them. And your greatest witness, my friend, is walking through hardship and saying, blessed be the name of the Lord, even in the midst of it. And so this power is made available. And when you are weak, that's when you're strong because you realize it's not about you. It was a divine breakthrough. It was when you went through the setback that God enabled and designed a comeback. And so in the Christian life, the Apostle Paul clarifies it once again. He says, that is why, ta-da, that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, insults, hardships, persecution, difficulties. So friend, when you go through a difficult day, you can say, It was difficult, but I'm going to choose to delight in my difficulty because I'm going to hold to a divine perspective here. Romans 8, 28, God uses all things together for the good for those who love Christ Jesus. See, friends, you and I need a greater perspective and all things considered, we're good. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege to be Christian. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for saving so many people. And thank you that you will save a great, 
multitude of guilty sinners, Lord, in days ahead all around this valley and through your church, we thank you. And for those that have not yet trusted Jesus Christ, I pray today would be the day that they would say yes to Jesus Christ. They would surrender in the midst of their suffering and said, I've had enough, God. Would you save me from myself? Would you save me from my sin? Would you save me from this suffering that I'm in? And in that, Lord, we thank you that your spirit is enough. Your grace is enough. And so, Lord, we thank you that you do a great deal of transformation from misery to ministry. We thank you, Lord, in that. And we pray, God, strengthen your church, strengthen the Christians now. And Lord, as churches reopen all around the country, might you bring a greater revival in the days ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, it's been great being with you. We're going to continue to worship. I look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.